Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. Last year, season two of the hit streaming show Star Trek Strange New Worlds boldly went where no Star Trek had gone before and treated us to a musical episode titled Subspace Rhapsody. This was such a special episode for me because of my own history. During graduate school at Caltech, I partook in a Star Trek parody musical called Boldly Go that Caltech Theater put on in 2016. The musical was co-written by Grant Remen, a physics grad student in my cohort at Caltech, and his brother, Cole, and was produced entirely by people in the Caltech and JPL communities. Now, I want you all to understand how absolutely natural and how absolutely unnatural it was for me to be in this show. On the one hand, it was Star Trek. Every cell in my body wanted to be a part of it. But on the other hand, it was a musical. Something so far outside my comfort zone, it might as well have been in another galaxy. But I took the leap, and I am so glad that I did, because I took away from this experience so many wonderful things, performance training that follows me to every talk that I give, lifelong friends whom I still keep in touch with to this day, and a science and Star Trek podcast. This one. You see, it's quite possible that Strange New Worlds would not exist at all without Boldly Go, the musical, because it was on that show that I met the person whom I started this podcast with. Elise Cuts. Elise was a freshman at Caltech when we did Boldly Go. We were very similar in many ways, huge Star Trek fans studying geological and planetary sciences with a passion for science communication. But we were also very different. Elise was introduced to Star Trek with the 2009 movie, and I was a child of the 90s, growing up with the trifecta of The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. The two of us co-hosted Strange New Worlds from 2017 to 2018, basically up until when I graduated and headed north for the University of Washington. After she graduated from Caltech, Elise went to MIT to earn her master's, and she's now a full-time science journalist. And today, she's back on the podcast to reflect on Boldly Go, a Star Trek parody musical as well as Episode 9 of Season 2 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Subspace Rhapsody. Hit it! Elise Cuts, welcome back to Strange New Worlds. It's great to be here. It's been so long. I can't even, I can't even remember the last time that I've been on years ago. I know. It's definitely more than a year. Yeah. How is life as a science writer treating you? I am ironically reading far more scientific papers than I did when I was an actual scientist <laughs> because I have to skim many, many, many papers to find stories. And then every news article I write, I have to read that paper very closely. So I'm reading a lot of papers from a lot of different fields. And I love that. I feel like I'm engaging more in science in a way that works for me than I was back when I was in grad school. So it's been a great switch. Um, 
every week it's something new, which is awesome for a person who likes collecting random facts like me. That's wonderful to hear. Uh, Sounds like a really enjoyable and fascinating life. Um, And I definitely get what you mean about not having time to read science while you're (laughs) a scientist, which is kind of ironic. Um, But when you're busy doing it, it's just hard to just pick up a random paper that interests you, but has nothing to do with your own research and make the time, carve out that time to read it. But um, I, I guess when it's your job to keep an eye out for exciting stories from all sorts of different fields, then uh, that's just a natural part of your daily life. And that's really cool. Definitely. And you're not, you don't only make time to read the things in your narrow subfield, which for me, I'm sort of chaotic and I like learning all sorts of random things about everything. So that works really well. Yeah. And I always really love seeing your bylines in places. Elise, if there's one very recent story of yours that you think our listeners here on Strange New Worlds would be interested in reading, what would that be? The one I'm most proud of that I I will just plug is my first magazine feature in Quanta, which was about two Hungarian mathematicians and some chemists based in Switzerland who ended up coming up with some simple geometry tricks inspired by geology, actually, to crack part of a difficult nanotech problem that's usually left to supercomputers. So I'm I'm most proud of this one. It is pretty geeky and a little bit in the weeds, but that's kind of normal for Quanta stories. I'm so excited to read that. I haven't read that one of yours yet. I love Quanta Magazine. I feel like it's a really good level of depth to their articles, but um, still very accessible, especially for people who are reading outside their field. So uh, that would be me in the case of this math article. But I love how they were inspired by geology. Can you just say a little bit more about that? Because that's, you know, as an as a earth and planetary scientist, that's uh, super fascinating to me. So there's actually a fantastic story about the geology-related research also in Quanta by a different science journalist who wrote that a couple years ago. But essentially, long story short, the mathematician who came up with this new way of describing tessellations, tessellation geometry, was inspired by rock cracks, and he developed it to describe and predict how rock falls apart. Like, What shapes does rock fall into when it fractures? And they ended up applying a lot of the same tools that they developed in that geology context to this nanotech context. Wow. You'll have to send me the link so that I can put it in the show notes for all of our listeners to read. And I also want to plug one other article of yours. I was just perusing my uh, hard copy of the EOS magazine, which is the American Geophysical Union's uh, magazine that they that they put out um, every once in a while uh, to summarize cool earth and planetary science research. As an AGU member, I, I get this magazine and I love flipping through it, not really to read most articles, but just to find your name in it, Elise. And so in, <laughs> in the latest issue, there is this one here about the missing earthquakes of Ireland. Uh, and you do a really brilliant job describing the sort of seismic scans that the scientists did to figure out that the lithosphere beneath Ireland is colder and thicker and therefore uh, less deformable (laughs) and is responsible for uh, there being a paucity of quakes there. So that's another one that I'll definitely put a link to in the show notes for people to, to look at. That's certainly my favorite geology story I've written within recent memory. 
All right. So um, let's turn to Star Trek now, because you recently did an amazing thing. You binged all 20 episodes of the first two seasons of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And while you were doing it, um, you sent me a stream of text messages with all of your thoughts and feelings. And that was just one of the most delightful things that has happened to me recently. Just all of a sudden, this outpouring of thoughts about Star Trek from Elise Cutts um, it really brought a smile to my face. Elise, overall, what were your impressions of this latest streaming live action TV show of Star Trek? It felt like the Star Trek that I originally fell in love with. It was a little bit more, a lot more upbeat than what I saw from Discovery. I actually stopped watching Discovery kind of because I thought it got too dark just for me personally. That's not what I come to Star Trek for. Um, I loved how it was true to the original series while also trying to do its own thing. It was hopeful, but also had these fantastic new villainized Gorn. I loved the choice of the Gorn as the recurring kind of enemy. It's an interesting choice in Star Trek where most enemies can be reasoned with, but what do you do when you're the Federation and you come up against an alien species that seems to be true predators? It's it's fascinating. And I really liked the mix of old and new characters. I loved pretty much all of the original characters. I just, I couldn't stop watching. I really loved it. I felt much the same way uh, when I saw it. I, uh, the first season I felt like was probably one of, if not the strongest first season of any Star Trek show. And season two was even better. Um, it was, you know, I, I really felt like there was just one dud episode in season two for me, which was the the one where Pike and the away team sort of just like lost their memories. And that uh, there was like this, like this very high pitched whiny sound that came out of, of the TV every time they did that. And I was just like, uh, th- this one I may not rewatch, but all the other episodes in season two, I thought it was wonderful. And like you said, uh, strange new worlds is just doing this amazing job with the characters blending characters that we know so well from other editions of Star Trek, like Spock and Uhura, legacy characters that need a lot more exploration, like Chapel and Number One and Dr. Mbenga, and even Christopher Pike, right? We didn't really get to know him very well in the original series. And then, of course, there are these brand new characters that they introduced to us in this show, Erica Ortegas and La'an Noonien Singh. How is this mesh of old and new working for you? And is there a certain character arc in Strange New Worlds that you find most compelling? So I love the mesh. It took a little bit of getting used to to see new faces on some of those familiar names, Um, especially Chapel's personality is just so radically different from the Chapel that we know in the original series. I'm very curious what they're going to do to her to turn her into the Chapel we know, because I think that's going to happen. I think she's going to have some experiences that push her into that direction. But it was very shocking to hear her say who she was at first. Um, uh, the first introduction, I was like, oh, okay, so you're Chapel. <laughs> I really love Ortegas. Yeah. She is, I think she is the perfect Sulu successor. She has the same kind of upbeat, little bit crazy swashbuckler energy that kind of messing with people. She's perfect in the helm. And my two favorite character moments from the whole, all of it, were Ortegas's. One was the I fly the ship. I fly the <laughs> ship. I'm Erica Ortegas and I fly the ship. I want that on a t-shirt. I want that on a mug. I loved it. It was so cute. It was so funny. I loved it. And then the other one was when she was making fun of Spock talking to the other Vulcan during the the trial episode, I believe. That, That killed me. I loved it so much. I really love her energy. 
And as far as character arcs go, I'm actually most interested in La'an because I think they've set up something fascinating with her dynamic with Kirk, given that his future is going to be so influenced by her past, her ancestor Khan, given that they have introduced this kind of weird tangled relationship situation, I'm interested what they're going to do with that. Because why would you do this unless you're going to do something interesting with it? Why would you create a character related to Khan and then put that character into this kind of situation with Kirk and her own journey working through her trauma with the Gorn? Now they're going to be in war with the Gorn. Like it's, there's so much there with her that I find just so interesting. And I just like her as a character. And I think her dynamic with number one is fantastic and great and a great example of like women mentoring women and the original characters I thought brought a lot, a lot of life to it. I really liked both Lon and Ortega's. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just riffing off of what you said about Lon, I didn't find her to be a super appealing character in season one. I thought she was just, okay, she's there. She's the, you know, sort of traumatized, has history with the Gorn, who are the big baddies, tactical and security officer. Uh, But then in season two, once they introduced this whole you know, time travel episode with Kirk and then starting to understand her more as a person who is struggling with reaching out to people, probably because of her traumatized past and having her work through that and gain confidence, you know, trying to admit her feelings for somebody or just getting to know people and hang out is kind of a relatable, you know, just human arc. And so I, I started to really love watching Laan's character grow in season two after having been like just lukewarm about her in season one. Yeah, I feel very similarly. She was just kind of there, but then she really kind of took up a lot more space and her story ended up unfolding in ways that were super interesting in season two. Yeah. So before we zero in on a very certain melodic episode from the most recent season of Strange New Worlds, was there a particular episode that stuck out to you from season one? Yes. So that would definitely be Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. That felt to me like Star Trek at its most Star Trek-y perfection. Just everything about that episode felt like why I like watching Star Trek. It set up a really interesting cultural and moral dilemma And it didn't necessarily end happily. It didn't end happily at all, even though the heroes are fine. I just found it, it's kind of what a great episode of Next Generation is like, but with this original original series context, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it just stuck in my brain. You know, what would I do if I was put in this situation where you encounter sort of a utopia that's built on the profound suffering of a single child? And if you take that away, this entire civilization collapses. Like, what is the correct thing to do? And it asks, it points to so many interesting questions about our own society in this, under this veneer of sci-fi, it really opens up so many things and got me talking with my mom nonstop about, you know, supply chains and, you know, (laughs) child labor (laughs) in our world. (laughs) And I love it when Star Trek episodes get you thinking about social issues in in the real world. And I think this did such a great job. And it was good characterization for Pike, too. I thought that was really good. He had a lot of really good moments in in that episode as well. Absolutely. It was one of those episodes where you're kind of, you know, enjoying yourself. And then all of a sudden, there's this reveal or plot twist at the end where it's just like, oh, my goodness, uh, that's harrowing. Um, And it makes you really think, like you said, about our own society and like, who is that child in 
our society today? Um, and do we do we look at them and acknowledge them the way that this alien society does? Should we? Should that person even exist? You know, it's just like, oh yeah, I can I can just imagine the conversations that you had with your mom over this episode. Uh, it was just one of those that made you think and feel so much. Again, for me, I really come to Star Trek to have an optimistic view of the future that also asks tough questions about the present. And I think that episode struck that balance so perfectly. I mean, the Federation's response to that kind of choice to have a child suffer is pretty clear. Like they really value these kind of traditional liberal values of individual freedom. So they're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior within the Federation. But is that right? You know, this this episode asks that question in a really interesting way and kind of shows that morality can be really subjective. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. Okay, so let's turn to season two. Season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds got extremely experimental with a crossover episode with the animated show Lower Decks and a musical episode titled Subspace Rhapsody. Now, Listeners may or may not know that you and I actually met by doing a Star Trek musical. This was a Star Trek parody musical that the Caltech Theater Department put on in 2016 called Boldly Go. Elise, can you rewind us, time travel us all the way back to that moment where you heard about this show that Caltech was putting on? And how did you react to that? How did you decide to audition? I'm pretty sure I was walking along kind of the main walkway between the dorms, the Orange Walk, and there was a poster and it said Boldly Go on it. And I thought, what is this? It has Star Trek colors. I'm going to go take a closer look. And I took a closer look and I saw that it was a Star Trek musical and they wanted auditions and I had done musical theater in high school. And so I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to audition. <laughs> and... I did. And that's, you know, it's a pretty simple story. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit different for me because I did not have a musical theater background, but I guess my overriding love for Star Trek conquered my fear of trying out. I'm pretty sure I didn't get the role because of any talent as an actor or a, a singer but uh, simply because I dressed up in cosplay when I went to audition and they were like, I guess we have <laughs> to take this in... guy. <laughs> you dressed up in cosplay to audition. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like, I have a Starfleet uniform. When else, what is the, the better opportunity to wear this thing? Um, Goodness. And, you know, I guess Caltech, you know, I, I, I love telling people that Caltech is this perfect place to experiment with extracurriculars because it's such a narrowly focused science, tech, mathematics school that, you know, the theater department is always looking for extra hands, right? I'm not competing with music majors or theater majors. So somehow I could weasel my way into this Star Trek parody musical. And so I, I, I thought that that was one of the most um, special experiences that I had at Caltech. And of course, I met you through it. Do you, do you remember like the first time you were like, oh, Mike Wong, that's a person. Like, <laughs> I don't. I, I remember us having some kind of conversation about like vents, about deep sea vents. Yeah. Was, yeah. Is that how this started? I don't know. <laughs> I, probably. I don't remember exactly the science part, but I remember the um, 
So there was this one rehearsal very early on where we were in the main auditorium. And um, again, because it was like one of the first rehearsals, Brian Brophy, our director, who also happened to play a guest role on Star Trek The Next Generation, he was sort of explaining the whole ethos of Star Trek to everyone just in case they didn't have a background in Star Trek. And he started going through the different series. And it was like, first, there was the original series in the 60s. And then they brought it back with the next generation. And then after that, there was Deep Space Nine. And then after that, and then he sort of like paused because he couldn't remember the name of the other show. And then you just like chimed in before I could get to it. You were like, Voyager. It's Voyager, Brian. <laughs> and I was like, who's that? That person beat me to the punch. <laughs> she she knows more Star Trek than me. And so I, yeah, that was the first time I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to talk to this person. And then you were also interested in astrobiology. I think um, at that time, like the potential for life on Europa, right? And then mm-hmm. we started talking about hydrothermal vents. And then like, that was part of my research and the origin of life. And then we, you know, just like the rest is history, right? Astrobiology, planetary science, and geobiology. You invited me to that crazy reading group. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> and that's, I think yeah. that's where we actually became friends. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, um, thinking about strange new worlds and seeking out new life, like actually, and then going to rehearsal to sing about it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any other particularly fond memories from being a part of Boldly Go? So meeting you was definitely the highlight. I think the two things. One, a personal highlight was that I was designated as the crazy fangirl among the red shirts in the, the chorus. So the chorus was these red shirt girls, essentially. And I was designated as Kirk's crazy fangirl. So I got to think faint or something. And I handed him his guitar for his little guitar solo. And then the other highlight just from the show in general was, it was the song at the end of the first act. And then when Kirk gets out the giant United Federation of Planets flag and Les Miserables style waves it (laughs) as the curtain comes down. A shield for worlds uncounted, the honor that we bear. For no load is too heavy, no trek too far and slow. It's for the good of others, the enterprise will go. For the good of others, the enterprise. We'll Yeah, yeah. It was just a a crazy kind of confluence of all sorts of people from the Caltech JPL community. I think like so Kirk was Kelvin Bates, who was a um, fellow graduate student of mine, um, I believe in chemistry. And, you know, he was a super talented singer and actor, but, you know, even more talented atmospheric chemist. Um, I remember attending his thesis defense and just being blown away. And then, you know, we had people from you know, all the way from freshmen at Caltech, like you, through like senior scientists at JPL who fly 
the Cassini spacecraft and like made the data available for you know numerous PhD theses, including mine. And all of us just together on stage singing about Star Trek. I looked to my left and I looked to my right and just like, I can't believe I'm like next to these people singing about Star Trek. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so I, I, I just love that, that, you know, Caltech has that space where you can meet new people and just have a good time doing this really nerdy thing with folks from JPL Caltech, you know, me- meeting new people. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> so I think my best other memory was definitely costuming. That was just really fun. I still have my costume. It's hanging in my closet for emergency Halloween use. Um, <laughs> and it was fun to, to get a custom made Starfleet uniform and put on the crazy boots and, you know, be a red shirt, taking the photos, taking the photos for the, for the posters was also such a highlight, incredible highlight. Um, getting to do these like crazy sassy faces and, um, then see the finished product, which I think you designed. So that was a highlight. Definitely. Yeah. I did a lot of the, um, social media and just like, um, promotion marketing for the show yeah um the posters i also took my uh costume so i've got my starfleet uniform from boldly go in my closet as well and um you know when they interview actual star trek actors one of the questions they they always ask is like did you take anything from the show and their answers are invariably like shh don't tell anyone but i actually took my costume um but here you know i remember Again, because it's Caltech, right? They don't have a theater department. The people they got to make our costumes were like in the biology department who like, you know, they just knew how to sew and were also super nerds. And when it came time for me to like, you know, the show had closed and I wanted to take my costume, I actually asked the lady who had made it. I was like, please, please, please. I would really love to have this costume. And she was like, take it. I never want to see it again. Like I've spent too much time sewing Starfleet <laughs> costumes. Just take it. <laughs> oh, man. Elise, I know that you were not entirely happy about Boldly Go. Um, looking back on it now, all these years later, um, how do you think the show could have been better? I think the the one big gripe that I had was just the female characters being very shallow. And I think that's still true. So every woman who had a speaking part was on stage to be paired off with a guy. And I remember that really bugging me. I think especially Kirk and Carol Marcus, given how they actually are in the canon, having them have a little happily ever after makes no sense and deprives her of a bit of her agency. I mean, it's not it's not like a character ending up in a romantic relationship makes them worse, but it's just it was clear that some of them were written to just kind of be plot objects for the for the guys. That was really the main gripe. Musically, I think it rocked. Like I still love <laughs> the UFP song, the United Federation of Planets song. Um, I think the idea to have a chorus of red shirts is hilarious. I think the Klingons really did their absolute best. That was so funny. The fight scene was so funny. Looking back on it, I probably feel more positive about it, um, but I still still have my gripe about the the female characters being a bit shallow. I mean, this happens a lot, though. That's that it does happen a lot. I think just it's a shame because I've been rewatching TOS, and I just every time I do, and I think about it being in the '60s, I'm reminded how crazy radical Star Trek has always been. It has always been so far on the political fringes, like. 
thinking about the original series in the 60s, there's an episode in the first season where there's a Black Admiral over Kirk. There are Black extras. There are female officers in a military organization. And yes, their skirts are short, but back in the 60s, in that context, that's like a women's lib thing. It's not just an objectification thing. It's it's also, you know, I can show my body. And that was different in that context. And it's so radical. Looking back, there's a Russian, there's a Russian guy, you know, there's a Japanese guy played by someone who was interned. It's insane how radical Star Trek was in its own context. Even the hokey pokey TOS that we all like to make fun of now. So I think when when we do parodies of it, a little bit of that spirit should remain. And it's kind of a shame, I think, when when you end up having really shallow female characters or just if your diverse characters also get shallow as well. I mean, Sulu did not have a huge part in Boldly Go either, and mm-hmm. neither did Uhura. I remember you even wrote um, like a newspaper article in the in the Caltech newspaper. So starting your journalism career early. <laughs> but I remember one line that you had in that article. It's like, it will always stick with me, is that Star Trek has always portrayed a future that is better than the present that it was made in. And so, you know, like you said, some of the things that we look at now in the 60s TV show, we kind of cringe at. But if we remember that it was made in a different time for the 60s, it was extremely radical, as you say. And then when you make something in 2016, you also want to maintain that spirit of being radical and pushing for a better future, but to regress a little bit in one aspect having the female characters without very much agency or just being there as tokens for the male romantic interests is regressing and not showing a better future than the one that we have in 2016. I, I always thought that was like a very deep insight of yours. Yeah, I think also the context at Caltech made it hurt even a little bit more because, you know, the the women playing these women were crazy superstar, brilliant ladies. <laughs> And and then they put on their role and they're diluted down 3000%. And so it's, that made it even starker, I think, even more stark. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about the musical episode of Strange New World, Subspace Rhapsody. You know, it's one thing to do a musical parody of Star Trek on stage, but did an actual musical episode of TV Star Trek work for you? Sort of. I think I was a little (laughs) bit like, I was a little bit burned, honestly, from the crossover episode. I hated it. I did not. That was my (laughs) episode that I couldn't handle. I was okay Okay, with the whining noise, forgetfulness planet episode. I could not handle the crossover episode. I thought it was so tonally dissonant from the rest (laughs) of the series. But I think it kind of worked, but it felt like a holodeck episode without the holodeck. It's weird to Mm. me that that actually happened and that those Klingons who broke out in their dishonorable dance break actually have to go report now to Klingon High Command and you know, probably <laughs> face some serious consequences for that dishonor. Um, <laughs> more singing, more
So it's a little weird that that happened. And then also that, you know, no one then really talks about it. <laughs> I think this would, uh, it, it felt a little weird how okay everybody was with the whole situation, but you know, it's fine. This I get that they were trying out a lot of different things with season two and I don't think it didn't work exactly. I think if they want to keep doing this and it could be funny to do it as a running gag, if they want to keep doing it, they'll need to find good ways to explain it because I mean, how many weird subspace phenomena can force people to bust out into song? I mean, with a holodeck, it could make sense, I guess. Or with Q. This would have been an excellent Q episode. You know, not some subspace phenomena, but Q just deciding he wants to be entertained. That would yeah. that would make sense. Um, it, but I found it entertaining, but I don't know that I felt like it fit in with the rest of the season, if that makes sense. Like, I liked it and I was laughing the whole way through. I was a little bit disappointed that some of the major character beats happened during the musical and not during a real scene. Like, Spock, Chapel romance peak you know drama moment happens in a Mm -hmm. musical I'm a little bit disappointed by that and I noticed that so my mom doesn't pay as close attention to the to the episodes as I do and she was confused about some of the things that then happened in the next episode because she didn't necessarily get everything that happened because it was in a song and dance number um Mm. so I had to rewatch it a couple of times to really understand everything that went on um but I like the songs. I especially like the power ballads from Laan and Uhura. So Laan's How Would That Feel? And I think Keep Us Connected from yeah. Uhura. I really loved those. <laughs> really loved those. Pike's song, <laughs> the private conversation <laughs> had me just like laughing out loud because yeah. it is funny that they take their conference calls for all to see on the, you know, <laughs> that he would even take a call from her at all, you know, not in his, you know, I guess Picard would go off into his little private room, but I, Pike didn't mm-hmm. have one. So, <laughs> Captain, can we have a private conversation in a more discreet location? about our canceled vacation. Apologies. I appear to be rhyming and singing. Marie, I'm gonna call you back. Oh, no, no, you don't. I'm not done yet. Chris, you always do this. You always run away. Oh, sure, I see. Lay all the blame on me When you're the one whose idea of fun is What am I saying to you In front of my crew This is a private conversation A private conversation About our frustration About our frustration This is a private conversation 
Yeah, you know, the, so that's very interesting. And I totally see why having some of the most emotionally charged moments of the season happening in the musical may have made them actually more forgetful or easier to forget later on um, just because you think of the musical as like, oh, this is like one self-contained weird story that doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the season. Uh, But on the flip side of that, I thought that the musical was extra impactful because the things that they were singing about were tied to an emotional arc that had been developed throughout the rest of the season. You know, like we said before, La'an sort of struggling with her feelings and breaking out of her shell, or number one, dealing with the fact that she had kept a part of her identity very secret uh, for very long in her career, and Kirk learning how to be a leader, um, Uhura you know, just being that connective tissue, but also dealing with her trauma of uh, having her family die. You know, I guess, I guess like for me, it was amazing that the episode wasn't just a bottle episode, but actually sort of slotted in to the narrative and emotional arcs of all of these characters and that they, what they were singing about was, was kind of justified by all the stories that had come before. But then, like you said, immediately after that, you get this really serious, like, okay, the Gorn are here. (laughs) And then it's a, a tonal shift that is very stark and also like, makes you wonder like, oh, wait, why, why aren't they talking a little bit more about the fact that they were just singing? <laughs> just another normal day in space. But I think the way, so I, I get what you're saying. And I think that this is why I liked Lon in this episode so much. So she had this power ballad where she's like expressing her emotion and kind of showing that character development. And then the real emotional beat happens outside of a musical. So uh-huh. she has this power ballad. You feel her emotion. You feel her working through her stuff. How would that feel in another time we had a life together? Could time repeat or will it unravel? Be careful what you start. Make one mistake and blow it all apart. Or worse, break my own. And then she goes and has a normal conversation with Kirk. Ah, so yeah. I liked that because you get this idea of you're getting the the musical numbers actually exploring something real about what she's been going through. But then the actual really important plot point happens outside of the song. I so see. Yeah. That was optimal for me. Right. Whereas the Chapel Spock thing, like Chapel is singing this really elated song about getting the fellowship and um you know that she's okay with leaving spock to go and pursue this amazing career opportunity and then spock immediately jumps into song in engineering singing about how he's so distraught and how he's the ex and so forth and that all happens in song and but actually you know one of the things that i really liked about that pairing was that the, the the melodies were the same right they, they they actually mirrored each other but one song was super upbeat and empowering and then the other one was so down and distressing but but to the same melody i thought that was a very interesting mirror image i didn't catch that i didn't catch that they were mirrors but that's pretty cool i'll have to go back and rewatch this 
Uh, they, they they actually so they they um they released the soundtrack uh for this particular episode and that's all i've been listening to as i've been working on my job applications so I also I also did not catch that when I was watching the episode, but like upon n number of repeat times listening to the songs, I was like, "Wow, actually, this is the same melody." This news really changes everything. I can't believe how wrong I've been. Convinced myself. We share the same feelings I won't make that mistake again She's happy and carefree The opposite of me I can do the calculus For her I set aside my need to analyze Now I'm wrecked and searching for why I'm the ex. Yeah, something I'm curious about in the context of, you know, having done our musical Boldly Go, the things that you were not completely satisfied with there, do you think that this TV rendition of Star Trek, Strange New Worlds in general, and then also Subspace Rhapsody in particular, does a better job of handling the female characters? I mean, I think it's it's night and day. Like the women on Strange New World are... Each of them are so different from each other. They're all full people with their own character arcs and stories that stand alongside those of the men. I think there are actually more women in the primary cast than men right now, at least when I kind of think about who I think about. So there's Ortega's on number one. And then there's Uhura. So there's really six. And then there's Spock and uh, Pike. Spock and Benga and Pike. Yeah. Just yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Kirk's sort of there sometimes. So, I mean... <laughs> Kirk is just like always on the Enterprise. Like, what is he trying to do? Is he, tr- is he like, trying to snooze? He's, with- he's like flirting really hard with the Enterprise. You know, <laughs> he knows what he wants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we know he's going to get some, it. Some deep part of him doesn't like that Sam's over there. Or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's another thing that was so cool to see, this dynamic between the Kirk brothers in Strange I loved New that World. so much. I want more. <laughs> I want yeah. more Kirk brother interaction. And I think we're going to get it. Um, if, if I had to pull up my crystal ball, I would think that they would really play that up and then also just continue discovering 
new legacy, new old legacy characters. Like, you know, we got Scotty in the last episode and who might be around the corner, maybe, maybe uh, Dr. McCoy or Sulu or some, someone like that. So I'm excited to see where they go. This is one thing I was disappointed about, about the musical episode. I was waiting for a brother's song from the mm. two Kirks and it didn't happen. He was on the ship. I wanted a brother song. I wanted like a rock and roll kind of angry, angsty brother song of them working out their kind of jealousy at each other. And yeah. it didn't happen. So that's the thing I thought was missing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's striking to me how our musical Boldly Go, if you look at some of the songs there, they kind of parallel the songs in this actual Star Trek musical. And, and maybe this is no surprise to somebody with a musical theater background, because maybe all all productions are like this. But, you know, there was like a there was a big number at the end where everybody was singing and it was but it was like very specifically about like how great the Enterprise is, you know, like how great this crew is (laughs) and how they can conquer any obstacle in their path. And then there was, you know, an emotionally charged song between, you know, Kirk. I guess it was slightly different, but in our musical, Kirk was like pining after um What's her name? Carol Marcus. Carol Marcus. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and then in this one, they have uh, Pike and Captain. Oh, why can't I? I also don't name? remember her name. Okay, She's just Pike's girlfriend in my. Pike's girl- yeah, Pike's girlfriend, <laughs> Captain somebody. You know, and then there was uh, uh, th- there's the there's like a Spock romance, and in our musical there was a Spock romance too. Um, and then there was also like a power ballad in our musical by a brand new character, Takia the Andorian, who was a scientist who had like figured out some brilliant scientific discovery and she got to sing a power ballad about science. And then Uhura got to sing a power ballad about like solving the mystery of the weird anomaly that was causing everybody to sing. I just saw like these these kind of parallels. The only big thing that was different was like the opening number for the actual Star Trek Subspace Rhapsody uh, was like a song all about them being confused about why they're singing, which totally makes sense. And like, of course, they would do that because they don't know why they're singing versus our opening (laughs) number. You know, it was just a given that we were going to sing. So our opening number was mostly just like an introduction to all of the all of the characters. So, yeah, I just I, I found a lot of enjoyment watching this episode not just from a Star Trek fan's perspective, but also from the perspective of somebody who was a part of Boldly Go seven years ago, believe it or not, um, just seeing a lot of these, oh yeah, I remember when we did a version of that thing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, definitely. Especially at the end when they kind of broke out into the last finale song, that definitely I remember rehearsing for for our finale. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Anything else that you think we should reflect on in terms of season two of Strange New Worlds or Subspace Rhapsody in general, or just a 
memory from Boldly Go that has surfaced to your brain over the past? I think I just want to say, like, again, I've struggled a little bit to like some of the new Star Trek series. I think because I don't come to Star Trek for gritty realism that's not very optimistic or takes a long time to get to the optimism. I I have other things I like for that. And the reason that I was so hooked so immediately by Strange New Worlds is that it really felt like Trek to me. It felt like watching the original series when I discovered it back in high school, but just modern and better. And there are familiar faces. It took a little bit of time to get, you know, to place the face to the name, but I don't feel like I'm not watching Spock. I don't feel like I'm not watching Kirk. I don't feel like I'm not watching Uhura. At the same time, you know, they're familiar. They're acting in these familiar ways, but you're learning about them. Their histories are becoming richer. And then there are all these new characters to explore in this more hopeful, more Star Trek-y feeling, I guess. And it is a feeling. It's a it's a vibe. It's It's tough to put my finger on exactly, but I feel like when I'm watching it, I feel like I'm watching Star Trek in a way that I haven't felt in a long time. And it was just so awesome to get hooked back into that and enjoy that hopeful future where everybody can cooperate and where people take care of each other and where you can believe in the Federation. And I don't know, I I really, really was surprised by how much I liked it. So that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great place to end it. So Elise, thanks so much for being back on Strange New Worlds and keep doing great things in the science communication realm. I can't wait to read all of your next articles. Thanks so much. It's so cool that you see them in EOS. (laughs) Woo! That was one of the most fun conversations that I've ever had about Star Trek, reflecting both on the musical that I was a part of in 2016 and the awesome musical episode that we all got to enjoy in 2023. Seeking out interplanetary friendship Enterprises work is never done Thanks as always to Elise Cutts for her time, energy, and friendship over the years. In the show notes, you can find links to watch Boldly Go, a Star Trek parody musical, as well as links to Elise's science journalism. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, leave a rating or a review, or just tell a friend about the show. Until next time, stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you out there. We'll boldly go. We'll boldly go. We'll boldly go. fan service thing there is some of that in strange new worlds for sure mm-hmm. um i think that's part of why i didn't like the lower decks crossover because it was mm. so over the top fan service um, yeah have you watched but, any lower decks 
So I'm considering watching it because I think if I was watching something with that specific context, yeah. then it would be funny. But I didn't like it in my real Trek canon, if that made yeah. sense. So yeah, the, okay. I was initially very skeptical about Lower Decks. I was just like, mm -hmm. this is like how Star Trek is not a comedy. What are you What are you trying to do? <laughs> and, and then I watched it and I was like, I actually really love this because the characters, the main characters there are kind of like the grad students and the postdocs of Starfleet, you know, yeah, <laughs> like doing all the grunt work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so just like watching their journey has been really fun. I think that they have a good, they have a good cast, uh, lots of very interesting characters. It is like super fan servicey, but in the way that it's like, these characters are fans of the heroes in Star Trek the same way that like we fans mm. are fans of the heroes in Star Trek. And so like they, it like very much resonates with me. And so I can see why just out of the blue, watching Boimler like, essentially fanboy over meeting spock is just like well, what is what is this like who's this guy uh, it's but, also um, like they yeah. still talked like cartoon characters yeah. i think that's the thing that really threw me is like mm. they truly did not feel like they belonged in the universe and right. like why is his hair purple and like, <laughs> um i just didn't i thought again a little bit like the musical episode like it felt like why did this need to happen in reality in canon mm. but it made me want to watch lower decks even though i hated it in strange new worlds if that makes sense that totally does yeah i yeah. i hope you do go watch lower decks um and yeah text me what you think because i'm very curious <laughs> yeah. to know um it's one of those things so like my sister who has watched some star trek really loves lower decks but really? she doesn't okay. watch she's not like a super fan like you and I are but you know it's it's just like one of those things where I think the humor aspect of it really just makes it enjoyable even if you don't get all of the references like they do a good mm -hmm. job of just making it objectively funny and then you get this extra layer of like oh yeah I recognize that reference from like that episode of Voyager or whatever so I did like um, the not all not all Orions are pirates thing that's pretty funny yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Right. And it's similar to how the musical episode, I felt like, did a really good job of slotting into the whole emotional arcs of the of the series. I also thought that the Lower Decks episode did that, too, because it was Boimler's conversation with Chapel in that turbo lift where mm -hmm. he, like, reveals that, oh, yeah, you know, I've read all the books on Spock and it yeah, never mentions, you know, there. you're not in. And then that sort of, like, helps her get to the point where you know she will break up with spock and like you know she realizes it's not gonna work out and i was like wow boimler it's all your fault but that's like also something that boimler would do it would be all of boimler's fault okay. <laughs> i think maybe that moment would so to me that felt cheap i'm like who is this guy i don't care about him he's in this episode that i hate and he's pushing the plot forward yeah, like why couldn't yeah. this have been a conversation with like with number one i would have liked that more just because i know her but as someone who doesn't know Boimler, it felt cheap. But I can mm -hmm. imagine if you know him and you know that he messes everything Always up. He's messing things up. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels very in character. Yeah. So. yeah.